stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faith. And verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. How do you trust God when life is hard? You know, one of the hardest places to be in the entire world is the waiting room of a hospital. If you've ever spent time in waiting rooms at hospitals, you know that there's a real sense of powerlessness. You're sat there and you know something really important is happening beyond the double doors, but there's nothing you can do. All you can do is sit and wait and wait for information to come that's going to change your life, maybe in a good way or maybe in a devastating way. Waiting rooms are really hard places to be. And spiritually, the life of following God often feels like you're in a kind of waiting room. You know God is working, you know that he's out there, but you don't know what he's doing. He seems distant and absent, and when you most need him, he feels farthest away. A lot of spiritual life feels like a waiting room. And as we open now Habakkuk, as Maddie just shared and read this text, here in chapter 2, we find this prophet in a spiritual waiting room. He is wrestling with God and wrestling with what God is up to. He knows God is there, but he doesn't understand what God is doing or when God is going to fix the suffering that's around him. He's in a kind of waiting room. And so we too, at different moments in our lives, and some of you right now feel like you're in a spiritual waiting room. You feel like you need God to show up. You're crying out to him. You're begging him to intervene or to fix or to change something in your world and you're not sure if he's doing it, not sure if he's listening, not sure if he cares. We need to sit with Habakkuk here in chapter two and ask the question, how do you handle the waiting room well? What happens in spiritual waiting rooms? How do we encounter God and press into his presence in these hard moments of spiritual suffering and confusion? And so that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna sit with Habakkuk in the waiting room and learn what it means to press into God's presence in these kinds of seasons. So, three things I wanna show you from the verses that we just read. First, and very importantly, we're gonna learn about active waiting. What does it mean to actively wait on God? Then the second thing we're gonna see is what it means to live by faith. And then third, we'll get a glimpse of the truly righteous person. So active waiting, living by faith, and the truly righteous person what we need for the moments in our lives when we're in a spiritual waiting room. So first, active waiting. Now, to properly grasp all that's happening here in chapter two, we're gonna briefly recap what happened in chapter one. If you were here last week, this is a refresher. I'll be brief, but we've gotta know what happened in chapter one to make sense of chapter two. Maddie gave us a quick summary, which was really helpful. 
in the beginning of chapter one, the prophet Habakkuk is crying out to God in suffering. The reason why he's suffering is he's having a kind of vocational, even a kind of identity crisis. He's a prophet, and his job is to help his people know God and follow God and live for God. But instead of him being successful, what he's seeing is actually the very people that he's supposed to be serving are walking away from God. They're turning their back on him. They've abandoned him. And so that is causing a heartbreak for Habakkuk. He feels like he's failing and he loves these people and he wants to see them know God and his heart is broken that they're turning away. Now you can fill in the blank for your own suffering, but what Habakkuk is doing there in chapter one is he's crying out to God saying, why are you inactive? Why aren't you working? Why aren't you responding to my cries and intervening and showing justice? We said last week, that's always what happens in seasons of suffering. We start by asking, where is God? Why does he seem so inactive, so distant, and so absent? So eventually, in chapter one, as Habakkuk is crying out, God does respond. God does come to Habakkuk and speaks. But what's interesting is that when God does come and speak to Habakkuk, Habakkuk's problems only get worse. Because God says to Habakkuk, okay, you want me to intervene? I'm raising up the Babylonians as the instruments of my justice. Now, if you know anything about world history, the Babylonians were a very wicked, kind of vicious people. They were conquering and they had no mercy. And God basically says, I'm going to use the Babylonians to humble and judge my people. And when Habakkuk hears that, he's stunned. He's disoriented. It's as if the ground beneath his feet has given way and he can't compute the information that he's getting. He's trying to reconcile, wait a second, God is gonna use the Babylonians? That makes no sense to me. Habakkuk is basically saying the punishment is worse than the crime. I mean, why would God do that? And so now he's not just wrestling with God's inactivity, but he's wrestling with what he sees to be God's inexplicable nature. He can't make sense of what God is doing and what God is up to. He's stunned and he's disoriented. And that's often, secondly, what happens in seasons of suffering. It's not only that God feels distant, but we feel confused about God. We are trying to reconcile what we believe with what we're experiencing. And that's where Habakkuk was at the end of chapter one. That's where his story ends in part one of this great act. And that leads us now to chapter two. And the question is, what's Habakkuk gonna do? Because one thing Habakkuk could do is what some people do in spiritual seasons of suffering. They turn their back on God and they walk away. And they say, this isn't what I signed up for. I don't wanna follow a God that makes my life as miserable as this. And they walk away. But Habakkuk takes a different approach. And he shows us something about what it looks like in moments of hardship, in times of uncertainty, to actually press farther into the presence of God. And there's a skill here in chapter two that he presents to us that if we have the eyes to see it, is actually gonna be a tremendous help for you in your own seasons of suffering. When you feel like you're in a spiritual waiting room, when you feel spiritually confused, Habakkuk teaches us something here about how to press into God's presence. And the skill, the spiritual discipline that he's engaged in is called active waiting. And if that feels a little bit like an oxymoron, it's meant to. Active waiting. 
if we're gonna learn how to handle the spiritual waiting rooms well, we've gotta learn what it means to actively wait on God. That's what Habakkuk is doing here in chapter two. Look with me again, let me read to you verse one. Habakkuk says this, he's asked God hard questions, God has replied and it's made the situation harder. So Habakkuk now says in verse one of chapter two, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So here, verse one, Habakkuk is declaring, I am assuming a posture of active waiting. I'm stationing myself on the ramparts. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna see what God is gonna say to me. In other words, I'm pressing in. I'm not abandoning God. I'm not abandoning my faith. I'm, you might say, planting my feet and waiting to hear what God's going to say to me. This is active waiting. Now, the phrase active is really important. The imagery of verse one, I will station myself at the rampart, that's the imagery in your mind's eye you should see a soldier standing at his post, looking out on the horizon to see any opportunities or dangers that might be out there. So here is someone who's waiting, he's not doing anything, but is incredibly active in that waiting, scanning, looking, listening for any sign of movement, for any sign of opportunity or danger. And that's the first thing we learned that Habakkuk's saying, this kind of waiting has a kind of intensity to it. You know, it would be a very poor soldier if there at their post they said, okay, time for Netflix, and they started binging their favorite show. Nothing wrong with Netflix, but it's not appropriate for a soldier who's on duty. And Habakkuk says, I'm gonna wait on God now, but I'm gonna do so actively and with intensity. And as we look at these verses, we actually learn something about what makes up active waiting. I wanna show you five things, five aspects or characteristics of what it means to actively wait on God, things that you'll need when God feels far away if you're wanting to press into his presence. So the first thing we see in active waiting is space. Habakkuk needs space in his life in which he can wait on God. So it's no accident, verse one, describes Habakkuk going to a special place. I'm going to the ramparts. He's stationing himself on the wall. He's assuming a place, a space in his life that's different from other spaces. And if you're gonna actively wait on God, something you'll need, something I need to cultivate is space to do so. Now, I mean that physically. Do you have any space in your life where you go to meet with God? For some of you, that could be your sofa with a cup of tea nearby. For others, to meet with God and to have some quiet, the last place in the world is your flat. And so you've got to get to a nearby cafe or a bookshop. For others, it's being outside on a hike or in a park. I don't know what it is for you, and it can be whatever it is for you, but you need a space Habakkuk said, I've got to get onto the ramparts. I need to be on my watch. Do you have space in your life to meet with God, to wait for him? And not only physical space, which is very important, but a kind of mental and an emotional space. You know, we live in the most distracted generation that the world has ever known. And so even if you have that space, sometimes we're more occupied by alerts on our phone than we are listening for how God might speak to us. So sometimes, and again, I'm not anti-technology, but we need to consider how do we limit distraction and create ways to encounter God, and it might mean phone off or phone at home. 
the mental space, the emotional space, the physical space, but Habakkuk says, I need to meet God, so I'm going to the ramparts. Where is your rampart? Where's your space to encounter him? So that's the first thing. The second thing that we learn about active waiting is patience and persistence, really two things, second and third, patience and persistence. Patience is very hard. If you're anything like me, you are an impatient person. And so much of spiritual life requires patience because God operates on his own timetable, not ours. God is more than capable of answering your prayers faster than Amazon Prime. But he often chooses not to. He often operates at his own schedule. And that's usually slower than we'd like him to be. There are a lot of reasons for that. But following God and pursue him in the waiting room, this experience that Habakkuk has, it's an act of patience. It's an act of real waiting. It's a component of spiritual life, but not just patience, also persistence. I want to show you, if you look at verse 1, Habakkuk says, I'm going to the ramparts, I'm going to wait, God's going to speak to me. And then verse 2, God does reply. We'll get there in a second. But here's the key. We don't know how much time elapsed between verse 1 and verse 2. It might have been an hour, or it might have been a decade. We don't know. So Habakkuk had persistence. It wasn't as though he went to his rampart and said, okay, I've spent 15 minutes here, it's not working, I'm going to go do something else. It's day after day, persistently building in the habit of saying, I'm going to show up and I'm going to wait for God to speak. Patience and persistence. So what have we seen so far? He gets into a space, he's exercising patience, persistence, and then fourthly, expectancy. Expectancy. Look again at verse one. I will look to see what he will say to me. Not I'm gonna wait here because maybe he'll speak to me, but I'm gonna stand here and I know God's gonna speak. And so I'm planting my feet. Habakkuk actually has a real spirit of expectancy. He expects God to answer his prayer. He expects God to meet him, to reveal himself to him. And he has a kind of confidence that says, I know it's coming. Now, expectation or expectancy, by the way, isn't arrogance. It's actually confidence in the power and the goodness of God. When God's child, when a person following God says, I know you're going to speak to me, that's not a sense of entitlement. That's being God's child. Recognizing that he's a good father who wants to give good things to his children. There's an old hymn that says, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. Because his grace and power are such that none can ask too much. I mean, do we live with that kind of expectancy? I don't know how and I don't know when, but I know he's going to speak. I know he's going to meet me. That's part of active waiting. So space, patience, persistence, expectancy, and then finally, importantly, scripture. The way in which Habakkuk knew God would speak to him was through God's word. Now, for Habakkuk, that might have meant something like a close to an audible voice or a really clear impression on the heart. But for many of us, the main way that God is going to speak to you is through Scripture. Scripture, the Bible, is God's word. And the way in which oftentimes we hear him, the way he guides us, the way he leads us, is through the word that he's given and that means actively waiting on God requires scripture. It requires having 
rhythms and practices in your life in which you encounter the Bible. Whether it's reading through chapters with a schedule or meditating on smaller chunks. And I want to say, it's not just this practice of, okay, I'm going to read the Bible and that's, everything's good. But it's, it's waiting for the Spirit of God to come as you're reading the Bible. And sometimes what happens is you're reading a passage or you're thinking about a verse. Maybe you've read it a thousand times before. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes down. And it's like electricity lighting up the truth of that passage and it illuminates your soul. That's what Habakkuk was waiting for. I know God is gonna speak to me. He's gonna give me his word. It's gonna give clarity and vision and direction. And so Habakkuk is waiting and for us that active waiting means getting into scripture. So, active waiting. Do you have space in your life? Are we cultivating both patience and persistence with the spirit of expectancy with Bibles nearby, waiting for the Spirit to come. This is what Habakkuk is doing. And I promise you, friends, if you follow God for any length of time, there will be moments and seasons in your life that feel like a waiting room. And this skill that Habakkuk shows us of active waiting is essential for pressing into his presence rather than walking away in those moments of spiritual confusion and hardship. But some of you listening, you say, well, why should I bother? I mean, God can speak to me whenever he wants, so why do I have to actively wait on him? Why doesn't he just speak to me and tell me what to do or answer my questions? Why is active waiting such an important discipline? That leads us to point two of our sermon. The second thing we learn, God is calling Habakkuk to live by faith. And this is why the waiting room matters. This is why actively waiting on God is so key. Because it's in the waiting room It's in actively learning to wait on God that faith is cultivated and faith is deepened. You see, basically, here's what's happening in chapter two. Habakkuk says, God, I'm gonna wait. I know you're gonna speak to me. I'm actively waiting on you. And eventually, we don't know how long, but eventually in verse two, God does come and God speaks to Habakkuk. But you know what God gives him? A kind of non-answer answer. This is beautiful and so frustrating. When my wife and I, when someone babysits for Esme and we're out to dinner, we always tell the babysitters that we would love a no update update. We would love to just know that nothing's happening, everything's fine. That helps us, right? No update update. When God comes to Habakkuk to give him an answer, he gives him basically a non-answer answer. Because Habakkuk is saying to God, what about the Babylonians and where is your justice and how do I reconcile what's happening with your character? And do you know what God basically says to Habakkuk? The righteous will live by faith. That's verse four. So Habakkuk is asking questions. Tell me, God, and help me to make sense. And God says, live by faith. Live by faith. That's what happens in the waiting room. Your faith grows. Your faith is deepened. And so we have to spend a moment and say, what is faith and why does it matter? Hear me, sometimes faith is spoken of so negatively. People think faith is blind. They call it blind faith. You just trust, but it's unreasonable. It's not based on anything. Let me say this as clearly as I can. Faith is not blind. Faith is actually the ability to see more. 
Faith, according to the Bible, is the ability to see things that are invisible. It's the ability to live in this world more aware of spiritual reality, more aware of the activity of God than what often meets the eye. And what God is saying to Habakkuk is in the waiting room, I'm helping you learn to live by faith, to trust in me even though you don't understand what I'm doing, to trust in my presence and in my character more than the gifts that I give you. You see, when life is good, when things are happening in your life the way you want them to, you've got the promotion, you have the relationship, you're not sick, everything is going the way you hope, it's really easy to trust in God. But you know what sometimes happens, it's subtle, but what sometimes happens in those moments is we confuse the gifts of God for God himself. And our faith, our closeness to God, is because he's doing what we hope or want him to do. And God, in his severe mercy, sometimes will allow us to go into the waiting room so we learn what it means to follow God for who he is and not just what he gives. That's what it means to live by faith. Another way to translate the word faith is simply steadfast trust. It's trusting in God even when we don't understand the ways of God or what God is doing and what he's up to. And it's a severe mercy. It sometimes feels really hard to be in these waiting rooms, but it's the most refining place in life. When God gives you those non-answer answers and says, trust me, live by faith, we say, ah! But it's in those seasons that our faith is being formed and deepened and strengthened And we're learning what it means to follow God for who he is and not just for what he gives. That's what Habakkuk was learning, what it meant to live by faith. And that's why verse 20, the last verse that Maddie read during our scripture reading, that's why verse 20 matters such a great deal. Because here's God coming to Habakkuk and saying, you've brought all these questions, I know you're struggling, but here's the answer, live by faith. Learn to trust me. And what does that lead to? At the very end, in verse 20, Habakkuk says this. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Do you know what Habakkuk is saying? Basically, the Lord is in his temple. Here's what he's saying. God is right where he should be. And everything's okay. You see, what is God's temple? It's the place of his rule. It's the place of his reign. In seasons of suffering, it feels like God dropped the ball on running the world. When your life is falling apart, when everything is hard, you often feel like God was sleeping when he should have been paying attention to your life. But here, as Habakkuk is now being challenged to live by faith, what he realizes, no, wait a second, God is on his throne Whatever is falling apart, even despite appearances, God is reigning. He's in his temple. He's the king. And there's no situation that has escaped his notice. There's no problem that's too big for him. And even though I may not understand it, he's right where he needs to be and the world is under his control. He's in his temple. So the image of temple in verse 20 is about God's power. He's king. He's where he should be. But also the image of temple, and this is so important, is an image of grace. 
Because what is the temple? The temple was the place where you could go to meet with God. You see, God and all of his holiness, you can't just show up. You need a mediator. You need a way to encounter him. And so the temple is the place where sacrifices are made and worship takes place so that the human beings can encounter the living presence of God. So it's not just the place of God's power, it's also the place of God's grace. And Habakkuk now, as the chapter ends, has this vision of God in his temple, and he says, this God, who I don't always understand, is accessible and close, even and often despite the circumstances of my life. The Lord is in his temple. So let's keep silent. That doesn't mean shut up, it means let's worship. It means let's humbly bow the knee to this God that we don't always understand, but he's on his throne. Now that's where chapter two ends. And that leads us to the final point of our sermon. Habakkuk is showing us active waiting. He's given this invitation to live by faith, but here's where it leaves us now with a big question. What about us? I'll be perfectly honest with you, and I've had to spend a couple of months wrestling with Habakkuk getting ready for this series. And what I know as I look at my own life is I often do not actively wait on God the way I should. Sometimes I lose patience or I'm distracted or I'm just frustrated. I look at what's happening in the world or in my life and I say, I don't wanna, I'm not gonna, and I move on. I don't press into God's presence. And also I know that my faith is not as strong as it should be. Rather than pressing into God's presence, I fritter around with distractions and my faith withers and wanes. Maybe you do too. And so I look at this invitation and I say, yeah, that looks good, but the honest truth is I don't actively wait on God. My faith isn't growing in the waiting room, it's waning. I often fail precisely where I see Habakkuk example. And that's true. We often do fail. But thanks be to God, there's one who didn't fail. Look again at verse four. The righteous person will live by his faith. The truly righteous person lived and died by his faith. You see, you and I don't always live by faith the way we should, but thanks be to God that there is a truly righteous person who lived with steadfast trust in God his Father. You see, Habakkuk, in his moment of suffering, he went to his space, he went to his ramparts, and he waited on God, he asked hard questions, and he waited for God's response. But the Lord Jesus didn't go to the ramparts, he went to the garden. That was Jesus' space, the garden of Gethsemane. And he, in his night, in his moment of intense agony and suffering, didn't stand on the rampart, but Jesus knelt in the garden. And he too, like Habakkuk, cried out to God with hard questions. But he got not only a no answer answer, he got no answer at all. But there in the garden, Jesus, with perfect faith, with perfect steadfast trust in God his Father, says, take this cup away from me. If there's any other way we can do this, yet... Not my will, but yours be done. Steadfast trust, surrender. And he gives himself up to the way of the cross. And Jesus as savior, and Jesus as hero, Jesus as the truly righteous person, goes to the cross and he dies. For what? 
for all the times that impatience gets in the way of our actively waiting on God. He goes and he dies for us. Why? Because our faith is never as strong as it could be or should be. But he dies as our savior. He dies as our substitute. He dies in our place. In other words, Jesus is the truly righteous person who lived by faith. He's the one who gave himself up for you. And when you see him kneeling in the garden, you know what happens? I mean, when your eyes are fixed on Jesus and you see his sacrifice and surrender, slowly but surely, our faith starts to grow. And we can say, I don't know what God is up to, but if that's how much he loves me, and if that's what he was willing to do for me, I can trust him. You see, Habakkuk saw God in his temple, but Jesus is the temple come to earth. Jesus is the king. And with the eye of faith, we begin to see that despite appearances and often contrary to what it feels like, Jesus is on his throne. And he meets us with love and grace. He loved you so much that despite your failings and shortcomings and your impatience, he was willingly and joyfully glad to die for you. And that's what he did on the cross. That's what he did in surrender. When you see that, as you see Jesus kneeling in the garden for you, you can stand on your rampart today, growing in faith and actively waiting for God, trusting in him as your gracious king. So let's do that now. Let's come and actively wait on God because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Our God, thank you for these really important lessons and ideas from Habakkuk 2. But it's our prayer now as we're your people, as we gather this Sunday, Lord, we need much more than information. We need to encounter you. Many of us right now need you. We need you to speak. We need you to meet us. And so may this moment, may this space today be a place for active waiting. May we hear from you. May we grow in faith because we look to Jesus because we see his perfect faith, his perfect surrender for us. May looking at him today increase our faith, build us up, and help us to follow you even when life is hard. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.